This is Pilar Alessandra, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Script Writing Software, the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide. My name is Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 41, for Friday, November 11th, 2011. Well, today I am so pleased to bring you an interview with someone you probably have heard of, and that is instructor and teacher, podcast host, and script consultant, Pilar Alessandra. You're going to love her interview. It's just chock full of great tips. We're going to get right to that interview in a second. But first, a couple of news items. One is that there's a contest. But to get to the contest, we got to get to your homework. And that is that in just a few weeks, I'm going to be interviewing Pam Douglas, who wrote Writing the TV Drama Series, like you see here. And I'm going to be interviewing her on November 25th. So that means you've got to get your questions in by November 24th to mail at tvwriterpodcast.com. Now, what's the contest? The contest is that one of the, the questions submitted will be picked. And if your question is picked for the contest, then you win a copy of Ross Brown's book, Bite Size Television, Create Your Own TV Series for the Internet. Um, I'm going to be actually interviewing Ross uh, in a couple of months, so you'd want this book anyway. But uh, so if you submit your questions for Pam Douglas's interview, you might just win a book. I want to thank Michael Wee's Productions for providing this prize, as well as facilitating these interviews. Right now, it's time for our weekly video tips. In last week's video tips, we looked at Red Giant Software's Magic Bullet Suite. This week, we look at another suite of special effects software plugins, FX Factory Pro by Noise Industries. When I first installed FX Factory Pro, my jaw literally dropped. Just like Magic Bullet's Look Theater, there was something special here. You see, FX Factory isn't just hundreds of visual effects, text generators, and transitions for Final Cut Pro, Motion, Final Cut Express, and Adobe After Effects. It's an engine powering an infinite number of third-party plugins and an easy browser to navigate download and purchase new plugins a la carte. You could think of it as kind of an iTunes music store for FX plugins. And when you install the free FX Factory browser, you see an easy preview of each effect and links to available tutorials. So you can see exactly what the effect looks like. And if you're not sure how to use it, many of them have tutorials that you can link to to find out how to use it. There are several plugins available as free downloads that you can use with the free browser from the Noise Industry website. But you can also browse previews of other plugins, try them out in trial mode, and only buy the ones that work for you as needed. When you're ready to buy, you just literally click right from the FX Factory browser and it manages all the installations for you. What I recommend though is FX Factory Pro. Nearly 200 plugins bundled together for only $400. You can have a lot of fun with these and they can stimulate your creativity. Some effects generate elements like text or even this globe. Others enhance or correct footage. Still others radically change or stylize your footage to look like something completely new. 
Whether for music videos, short films, TV shows, or school projects, you'll find FX Factory Pro opens up a world of possibilities. Stick around after the interview. At the end of the podcast, I'm going to play a two-minute FX Factory demo video that will show even more of their effects in action. Right now, a word from our featured sponsors. If you pay attention to great films and TV shows, you'll notice the camera is always moving. Not panning or tilting like on a tripod, but smoothly moving through space. This week's featured sponsors have products that help you move the camera in different ways and they don't have to break the bank. You'll find the Cinemover for only $80 at MoveYourCamera.com. It can operate as a track dolly or a table dolly. Amazing value. If you want lightweight and affordable camera gear, go to IndieSystem.com. You'll find shoulder rigs, jibs, sliders, and more at very affordable prices. Or, for a more heavyweight, longer-reaching camera crane, go to CameraCrane.com for the Comely Crane and look for the Steady Freddy as well. But how do you focus when your camera's on a crane or a jib? Lightcraft Workshop has an amazing USB follow focus for Canon DSLR cameras. For handheld footage that looks like a Steadicam, try Glidecam. Starting at only $369, look at the difference it makes. A great source for inexpensive DSLR accessories is JAG35.com. Field monitors from $249, shoulder rigs, sliders, and more. For high-end field monitors, go to smallhd.com. A higher-resolution monitor means better photos and videos. want to thank our sponsors for supporting the podcast, but right now, let's get to my interview with Pilar Alessandra. Enjoy. This is Gray, and I'm here with author, teacher, podcast host, and script consultant Pilar Alessandra. How are you doing, Pilar? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. And I'm going to embarrass you right now and read a bit of your bio. I hope you don't uh, mind. Uh, <laughs> oh, Lord. Pilar is the director of the Los Angeles Writers Studio, On the Page, Inc., and the host of the On the Page podcast, which has done about a billion episodes. A sought-after teacher and lecturer, she's traveled the world teaching screenwriting and is in high demand at major writing conferences and film festivals. And as a consultant, she's helped thousands of writers create, refine, and sell their screenplays. Her students and clients have sold to Disney, DreamWorks, Warner Brothers, and Sony, and have won prestigious competitions such as the Austin Film Festival, Open Door Competition, Fade In Competition, and Nickel Fellowship. And she's worked with a lot of TV writers, too. Welcome, Pillar. Hi, thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> cool. And, and you know, I have to say, actually, personally, big thank you because my podcast wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the On The Page podcasts. Oh, wow. Wow, I take that as a big compliment. Yeah. And I do remember when you were a little baby podcast. I remember <laughs> back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, because it, it, I, I loved your, your podcast. I listened right from the beginning in those uh, cool first 20 episodes. Uh-oh, um, yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> And and I just thought, this is so neat. It'd be really neat to have one for TV, too. And then, so that's how this one was born. Absolutely. Yes. Well, I'm glad. And congratulations. You're on uh, half a billion right now, right? <laughs> uh, actually, this is episode 41. 
Ah, 41. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm honored. Thank you. Cool. And uh, I'm dying to top shop, but first we got to wind back the clock a bit and learn a bit about you because you, you always talk about the present on your podcast. Let's talk about the past a bit. You grew up in Boston. Um, I did. And that's a far stretch from Los Angeles. What happened in between um, growing up in Boston and ending up in L.A.? Oh, God, man, I had no idea you were going to go back in time. Um, <laughs> well, I, you know, I came out here, my dad already lived here. Mm-hmm. And so after college and after I, I was sort of really active in the Boston theater and um, I studied in London at the National Theater. And um, I think that's where I, I started to actually sort of get a real love of scripts and I didn't Mm. realize it. And I came out to LA when I was about 22 years old. So it's a long time now. And I really just fell in love with the place because everybody is telling a story. Everybody is starting new. It's not just the world of film. You know, everybody is sort of involved with being creative. Hmm. Um, you know, people don't look at LA like, like that, but that's how it felt to me. And so I started sort of doing odd jobs thinking that I would stay in acting, hmm. but I ended up doing an odd job reading scripts. Hmm. And for me, it was just another kind of cool gig. And then that's where I really found that uh, I was, I was finding a, a passion for words, scripts, storytelling. I was really interested in, in what was making these scripts come alive for me. And and so at what point was uh, was Amblin in there? Well, Amblin came along because I, I was, uh, <laughs> I had been selling food out of a cart as uh-huh. one of my little little jobs. Again, you know, early 20s, I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll sell food to offices, whatever, uh-huh. I'll figure it out. And uh, a friend of mine from college who knew that I loved writing analytical papers about, about literature, asked me to read a script once a week for a company called Cineville. And it turned out that Cineville was kind of a cool indie company at the time. It sort of was resting on Alison Anders movies, which were like Gas Food Lodging and Me Be the mm. Loca. And I would read a script a week and somebody was like, hey, stupid, you can actually get paid for that. And I, I had no <laughs> idea. <laughs> really? So I thought, well, who do I want to work for? And I went, oh, you know what? That's Steven Spielberg. He's, he's awfully good. And so I took my samples over there mm-hmm. to Amblin, and they hired me. Wow. And, uh, and, yeah, so I really learned a lot by working for the best because clearly I didn't know what I was doing or who I was working for, but um, it taught me about story very, very quickly. Wow. Well, and, and I know you've kept on reading scripts, so you must like it. Um, you said a conservative estimate is that you've read over 5,000 scripts by now? I would say that. So if you do the math, plus, you know, me being in my early 20s, um, I'm kind of, I must be kind of old. <laughs> it makes me feel old to think about it. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, reading that many scripts, you have to get to know what makes a script work. And uh, you you went on to DreamWorks and became mm-hmm. senior story analyst. Right. When Amblin became a, a studio, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's gone back and forth since, but, but when they decided, you know, they were going to be a studio, the lot didn't change, the name did. And at that time, you know, there was a, a bunch of really, really strong readers. 
And, you know, in addition to doing script coverage, we were also doing notes on existing projects. So Mm. some of us who'd been there, you know, and they trusted our sensibility were made senior story analysts. And I also got a a chance to sort of be reading for them and for Bob Zemecki's company at a certain point when they had a deal with DreamWorks. And I was also sort of given the leeway to work for other companies if I wanted to. So I worked for, God, uh, Robert Evans and um, Interscope, which became Radar Pictures. Gosh, the list just goes on. I mean, there were Saturday Night Live Studios at a certain point. I worked for them. Mm-hmm. So I just would sort of read scripts all over town. Cool. And and I heard somewhere, I think it was on a video interview maybe, that your first teaching opportunity was people wanting to get to know how to do script coverage. Tell me about that story. Yeah, you know, everybody at the time, now it's this, things have changed. It used to be script readers were paid. <laughs> they weren't just, they weren't interns, they weren't assistants, they weren't people mm-hmm. that, you know, I, 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 I worry that people are being taken advantage of a little bit. When you read a script and you analyze it and you're passing it forward, it's hard work and, it, and it's deserving of, of some money. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, you didn't get a lot of money, but you did get some. So people were always asking me, how do I become a script reader? And I was giving them sort of this sort of analytical way of looking at scripts, and that was working and getting them jobs. So I decided, you know what, I'll just have a class in my living room. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a class in my living room, and I found out that I was a teacher. I, I think above all else, I'm a teacher. I really love teaching. I love it when I develop a writing tool or an analytical tool, and somebody applies it and it works for their project. It's the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. And you've also taught through the UCLA Writers Program as well? Yeah. I After that, I, I convinced UCLA to hire me. <laughs> <laughs> I developed some more writing tools and then eventually just went out on my own because I, you know, I wanted to sort of teach the way I wanted to teach. I'm not big on giving homework. I'm mm. big on suggesting that you get it done. So people actually, I think, get more done when they don't have to, when mm. they feel inspired and when they're putting it on the page in class. I, I give people a lot of in-class work because for some people, it's their only writing time that week. Hmm. So I'm not going to sit there and lecture to them. I'm going to say, here's how to do something. Let's go for it. And I give them five minutes, 10 minutes max. They put it on the page and they leave with with progress on the script. Very, very cool. And, uh, and then in 2004, you mm-hmm. opened your own studio, on-the-page writer's studio in Sherman Oaks. Right. On the page was actually started in 2001, but I didn't have uh, my own shingle hmm. till 2004. Um, I was about to have a second baby, and I realized I had to get my <laughs> classes out of my house. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, found, and I opened a studio at the time with an acting teacher. Now it's all mine, and uh, it's very well, well located in Sherman Oaks. Although we always get like kind of a lot of jokes out of the fact that it's over a Seven <laughs> Eleven, so I have like this really bad gummy bear addiction yeah yeah <laughs> cool and and you have done weekly on the page podcasts with lots of amazing guest hosts and uh, I joked about it but how many episodes so far 200 I think we just did our 218th 218th and uh, so that will be coming out 
soon. I think our 218th guest is, he's a TV writer. It's uh, Sanjay Shah, mm-hmm. and he uh, is a writer-producer for Cougar Town, and he also wrote for King of the Hill. Very cool. Um, 218 episodes. I mean, to put that in perspective, there are <laughs> very few TV shows that go to 200 episodes. <laughs> Because they're kicked off the air. Nobody's kicked me off yet. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, well great uh, that you're keeping it up. I, I know it's, it's, it's a lot of work, and doing it every single week um, is uh, – uh, I know that lots and lots and lots of people are helped by that free uh, resource. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> cool. Yeah. It is free. We, you know, if anybody looks into the archives, they might see that for about six months there, we tried to do like a paid subscription because uh-huh. I wanted to add in all this stuff to it. But then I got lazy and just mm-hmm. went, let's just do it free. It's a lot more fun yeah. that way. <laughs> uh, I signed up. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, so, so, I mean, 218 episodes, you have to have learned a ton from these. I mean, you, you've had... A lot of feature writers, but you've also had TV writers, you've had mm-hmm. agents, you've had, uh, I mean, organizational helping people, you've had tons and tons of different types of, of, of writers and people who help writers on the podcast. Um, talk about, obviously you can't share everything, but, but what are some nuggets that you've learned along the way? Well, you know, something that's interesting, I think a lot of people listen to the show to find out how did that person get their big break hmm. and how can I get that big break, you know, and they're always looking for a formula or sort of that magic bullet. What's that one thing I can do that's going to get me a job. Mm-hmm. And I'm always sort of astounded by the fact that the actual big break is completely random mm-hmm. and weird. And, you know, when you listen to Sanjay's podcast, you're going to find out that he got his first big break from having done the world's best practical joke. That got (laughs) him attention. So what gets somebody attention could be bumping into somebody at a party. It could be writing an essay that got them... It, it, you know, interest just in, in terms of who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be, like I said, uh, the world's best practical joke. But the consistent thing is that once they get that introduction that they've needed, um, the, once the door is open, it's their work that gets them the job. Yeah. And that work is always polished and has been you know, has had the right amount of passes at it. That, that writer has always talked about the fact that they were writing and writing and writing and had either a wealth of material or one project that they had put their heart and soul into. Hmm. So I, I feel like continuing to talk about craft is the most important thing you can do to get somebody work because how you get in, random, but how do you get the job is always the quality of your material. Hmm. Very, very cool. Yeah, I, I know what. Uh... Two podcasts ago, I talked to Phil Klemmer, who was a writer for Veronica Mars and for Chuck, and he got into it because um, of some Halloween parties that Rob Thomas was putting on. And so, really? I mean, it, it, it sounds absurd, but to try to follow the path of one particular writer would mean that I think that my way into the industry is having Halloween parties. <laughs> and, you know, when the people try and chase the the networking ideas that people put out on your podcast or on mine, 
it's a bad idea mm-hmm. because it's like saying, I want to be part of that club. No, I want to be part of that club. And it's insincere. It's, it's not authentic. And, and people can smell that. When, yeah. when you're just, you know, becoming friends with them just to become friends with them, nobody's going to hire you. Yeah. But when, you know, when you're sincerely being creative in the world, that begets other creative people and those people turn into contacts for you. Mm-hmm. You know, so a lot of, I don't know if on your show, you find that a lot of your writing people have done improv or sketch. That's, that's a creative environment. You know, and those people that you just like sort of making up a character with could turn out to be a producer mm-hmm. in a year or two and they're going to get you a job. Yeah. Very, very cool. And, and, and I think a really, really important thing for, for all of the advice on either podcast that, that people might hear is you've got to personalize it and mm-hmm. in, internalize it to you. Like say, for instance, I've, I've read the, you know, some comedy writing books and stuff and they, and they always say you have to do stand up. Sorry, I I just can't. I'm I'm not that guy. <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, really scary thing. Oh, incredibly scary. And you know, maybe the next guy can. That's not something for me. But that's not to say that that's the only way to do it. Um, no. And so I've got to I've got to personalize it for me and find the things that I can do. Um, but uh, talk a bit about your your on the page DVD as well. Um, the DVD came out of the fact that. It, well, this was, it was made now a couple of years ago before there was so much access to online courses. So that, of course, is going to be my next thing to make mm-hmm. sure that there's a way to do some easy downloads of the classes. But I created it at the time because I had a lot of um, international clients and people from out of state that wanted to take class and couldn't. So I videotaped the class, but I wanted to make sure that it was well edited and that it really hit all of the writing tools that I could fit into this DVD. So it, it's really a great way to sort of, you know, take yourself from, from the brainstorming stages through rewrite, mm-hmm. or you can jump around and go right to a chapter on character and get a good writing tool for that and make your script better. Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, the thing that I love about it is, is for those of us who live thousands of miles away from Los Angeles, um, it, you actually feel like you're in the class, which is really, That's really cool. cool. Yeah, you know, we did that one day. We it was definitely a class, uh-huh. and you can kind of see me getting like a little punchier through the whole thing. That's, uh-huh. that's a fun, fun game to play. <laughs> Very cool. And uh, and we're gonna get to your book in a roundabout way. Um, and that's okay. that. First of all, uh, on your site, you you had an interview with Robin Farr, and you said in that interview that you believe that anyone can be a screenwriter. Can you talk about that? You know, everybody grows up watching movies. So we get the medium, we get, we get how that kind of storytelling affects us. So we are educating us, uh, ourselves on it all of our lives. So if somebody has a story in their head that they really think would be a movie, there's no reason to tell that person, no matter how far away, oh, you can't be a screenwriter just because you don't live here. Hmm. That you're, 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 you have just as much access to the craft of it as somebody in LA. So um, my job is just to say, okay, you want to do this. Let's get you organized in terms of your writing. You know, let's, let's, you know, you can't just go willy nilly about this. There's a form here. There is a structure and, uh, and there's a poetry to it. Mm-hmm. So, so here I'm going to sort of guide you through that process so that you can, you can make a screenplay. You can write a screenplay. Now what you do with it, how you become a working screenwriter, 
that's where the come to LA or network at a pitch fest or all those things come into play. Hmm. But my job is just to, to make you get it in the right form and, and to make it as, as wonderful a read and as potentially good a movie as possible. Mm-hmm. And so, so anybody can be a screenwriter. Um, but that, what that technically means is that uh, for 99.9% of people, you're not already a working screenwriter. You're working at something else and you probably have a family and you have all these other responsibilities. Um, and it can be challenging to come up with that time. So the, the title of your book, The Coffee Break Screenwriter, just yeah. sounds perfect for that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I found out that that guy turned out to be everybody because, mm-hmm. you know, e- even in Los Angeles, I started noticing that people were, if I gave them an assignment to bring in five pages, okay, they were hustling to do it that morning. Mm. And, and given their own personal deadline, they actually did it and they did it well because they weren't overthinking it. Their gut was on the page. They knew the form from class. And I just found out everybody's trying to cram in their creativity into their spare time. Hmm. Even people who are paid for creativity are cramming it into their spare time because the working TV writer also has a feature that they're doing on the side. Yeah. You know, or the feature person has a webisode that they're doing, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, it, it became really important to, to make the most of this spare time to be as productive as possible to get to it and not to spend tons of time thinking about it to actually get people writing. So that's mm. what the book's about. Well, I, I do I do think it's an it's an excellent way for a person to train themselves to oh, if I can if I can take 10 minutes to do this, if I can take 20 minutes to do this, then maybe I can take 30 minutes and do this. I can get take 40 minutes and do this and gradually train yourself to have targeted exercises um, for, for your own writing. Um, and, and, you know, e- even people who are professional writers, I hear about people who, uh, they, you know, they're in meetings all day long and then they have to write for a couple hours at night or maybe they, they have to write for an hour in the morning before they rush off to get their family to school. And, and so even, even people who are paid for it, um, have to learn to work in set amounts of time. You know, I get a lot of working writers who take the class and uh, especially a lot of working TV writers because they're the ones that have to work very quickly. And they all say that this has streamlined their process, that they they thought they had a way of working quickly. Now they really have a way of working quickly <laughs> and, mm. and yet keep it, get focused and organized and creative because you don't want to be sloppy. You yeah. know, it'd just be like, oh, they're great. I'm done. And you still want to make the most of that time and make sure that, that you're still paying attention to the, the art of it and, and being truthful to the emotion in your story. That's, that's hard to do sometimes when you feel rushed. Hmm. Cool. So that, that basically catches us up to the present. And that means we can talk shop a little bit because, um, okay. there, there's just some general questions that I have. I mean, obviously this is a TV writer podcast. And, uh, and so we do need to establish you do, I mean, you, you work not really only on features. You work on the writing. Um, and I know you've interviewed a lot of TV writers on your podcast and your clients have written for Lost, Prison Break, Nip and Tuck, Family Guy, um, the George Lopez show, uh, and, and tons of other stuff like that. But, um, yeah. where, where would you say in particular that television writing fits into the work that you do? Or not just television writing, but television writers or, or one of people who want to break into that? 
I, I think that it, it fits in perfectly. I've been trying to figure out for a couple years now how I can make a very specific TV writer class. Mm-hmm. But frankly, it, it really, this class is an umbrella for every medium, and I want it to be because, you know, it's not just TV and film anymore. It's also web series. You know, it's, it's short film that you can show on a cell phone. I mean, every kind of storytelling in script form should work within this class. Mm-hmm. Um, and my job is to get you brainstorming with the premise as to, you know, for TV, it would be how is this idea something that we can revisit from week to week? Or how is this character interesting enough that we can revisit this character in a situation from week to week? So that's where I would sort of uh, sort of encourage TV writers to be thinking in the, in the brainstorming process is something that you can be mining. Um, then we go into sort of the organizational part of it, which is um, if you are plotting out your pilot, um, mm-hmm. what's going to go where? Um, you know, with a pilot, it, it can be particularly challenging because the writer not only has to sort of establish the origins of, of the series, she also has to uh, give sort of a little mini episode within the pilot to show what the structure is going to be and, mm-hmm. and what the potential of the story is going to be from week to week. There's a lot to fit in without, again, seeming rushed, sloppy, not paying attention to the characters. So they do a lot of that kind of work in class, making sure that or the, the organization of their story is there so that they could be as creative as they want around that, that organized structure. Hmm. Cool. Um, now, have have you heard of the weekly script chat on on Sundays? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait a second. Is this the Twitter one or? Yeah, there's one on Twitter. Um, Sunday nights. Yeah, I I did uh, I did script chat. Oh, you I did. Was, okay. Uh, oh my gosh, it was crazy. I mean, oh, it was yeah. really fun. But man, people were tweeting things to me right and left. I was like, okay, I think I think. I, I should answer this. No, wait a second. They're talking to somebody else. <laughs> it's nuts. But it's cool. It's mm-hmm. very cool. Well, um, there's actually a new one um, born from some of the people who did script chat, and, and also I helped post it, is uh, there's a TV writer chat now on Sunday nights as well. And um, one of the topics that, that came up in a recent one was um, writing groups and mm-hmm. whether you whether they're viable for television writers or or want to be writers and and in particular can you mix um feature writers and television writers in a single writing group and how what do you think oh, about that yes absolutely because i do mm-hmm. um i have private writing groups that are uh brought together from some of my the stronger writers who are in class or my clients i create these groups i've created these groups over years of vetting mm-hmm. writers so I have some really, really strong writers in these groups, and they are a mixture of feature and TV. And the feature people are able to give good notes on the TV, and mm-hmm. the TV the TV writers are great at giving notes with, with feature. Um, and I think because TV writers might be looking at it for the clip of the dialogue, for um, how is the character sort of popping off the page, feature writers might be looking at it as what story are you telling in this scene? So it's really, really helpful. Hmm. And as far as getting stuff done, there's nothing better than a writer's group, especially if you're very consistent about saying, okay, everybody, five pages per week. 
mm-hmm. and they show up with them. And also making a couple of rules like don't keep bringing in the same five pages over and over again. <laughs> you know, because that, yeah. that's going to drive everybody crazy. Do yeah. it at home. Take the note, rewrite it, bring in five new pages. Yeah. And that way people can see the progress. So in, in these writer, writers groups, when you have TV writers and feature writers together, the, the TV writers, are they writing specs? Are they bringing five pages of their spec in? Or are they re- writing pilots? Or, or what are they writing? I've had people who write original pilots Mm -hmm. and people who are also doing specs off of uh, an existing series. When that happens, I usually ask the group to watch one or two episodes of the series, Mm. including me. You know, I got to do my homework so that we understand what the voices are and the rules of the show so that we're not just giving random notes like, well, I don't get it. Well, maybe that's because you're not watching the show. (laughs) (laughs) So and that's really, really important. And and I would suggest to anybody in a writing group that if they are doing a, a spec of an existing show to point people in the direction of where they can watch it so that they understand, you know, how that show ticks. Hmm. Very cool. Um, now, one one question I have for you is: there are a lot of people who want to be writers, and I, and I think probably by the time they come to you, they're already pretty serious about it. But uh, you also see a lot of people at seminars and, and conferences and and that kind of thing. What do you think are the the biggest obstacles to to a person getting their story on the page? Counting the money before they've actually written a page. <laughs> you know, yeah. I have people who say, yeah, I really think that Brad Pitt is just going to, you know, he's going to love this. And, you know, I totally see Spielberg directing it. It's like, well, good. Good for you for, for you know, thinking ahead. But what have you written? Stop thinking about how much it's going to sell and who's going to be in it and start attaching yourself to the story. Hmm. You did this supposedly because you have a story you want to tell, not just because you want to win the lottery. Because um, these days, that's a, that's a pretty unrealistic goal anyway. Hmm. You know, it's the spec market is starting to pick back up, which is Awesome. Yeah. But for years, it's been very slow. And you write a script so that you can get work, not so that you can make the big sale. Right. Um, so that's what I, I usually think gets in people's way is that they're just too in love with mm. the idea of being a glamorous screenwriter and not in love with their story. Hmm. And uh, and so when somebody does have an idea, what should be their first steps? The first steps, I think, would be to kind of do a concept test on it mm-hmm. to make sure, let's say, that it's um, a very cool idea. They think that it's something that nobody's ever done before. Is it a cool idea that will only support a scene or will it support an entire movie? If it's a series, you know, uh, can we revisit that idea over and over again or is it going to be a one-trick pony? Mm. So to do a little bit of a, of a test as, you know, well, if I put, you know, what, what episodes can I get out of this situation from week to week? Um, if it's feature, then how, how much can I be playing with this idea over and over again? Yeah. If it's a character, then you might want to go the opposite way is keep testing that character as to, well, is this character interesting enough that if I put them in all these different situations, it's always going to be entertaining to watch. Hmm. So I'd start there. And if the character and the idea pass that test, then move on to, well, what's the structure going to be like of this show every week? Are we always going to see this person get into trouble, deal with the trouble, get out of trouble? Hmm. Or are we going to branch off to 
a whole ensemble of people that are going to be affected by something he or she does, definitely get a sense of what does this show look like week to week, and that'll help you tell the story. Mm. So that is something I know that Blake Snyder, uh, too bad he, he passed away, but um, yeah. some, something I know he talked about was actually telling the story to other people and watching their responses. Um, I I think you... They, uh, like, I, I, I hear people who say, I've got this great idea. Well, first this guy's dog goes and meets the, the, the cat next door, and then the owner goes and does this and does that and does this, and they think it's the best idea that's ever happened in the history of the universe. Um, but when they tell that story to somebody else... <laughs> The eyes glaze over really, really quickly. Right, because they're not telling you a story, right? They're yeah. just telling you scene, a scene by scene, sort of a, a blow by blow beat sheet. But they're not actually telling you the story. Mm-hmm. So yeah, people have to step back, and this is where log lines come into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, log line for a feature, log line for TV. You're always having to say, "My series is about." And you you need to give a big picture explanation of it, like you said, not go in and and sort of micromanage with a with scene by scene. Mm-hmm. And and you mentioned this in passing, but um, at what point does a person need to live in L.A.? <sighs> I don't know. I, you know, you'll have I have guests on the show that insist people have to live in L.A. Mm-hmm. But you know, then they live in L.A. And they still communicate solely by email. Yeah. And they're still emailing their scripts and talking on Facebook. And I and I wonder more and more, why does it matter yeah. if everything's virtual? Um, I am seeing uh, people from out of state getting more interest on their stuff. And they are either producing things where they are or they're coming into town for sort of a group of meetings. When an agent gets you your meetings, it's usually sort of at one time, mm-hmm. you know? So you could come in, let's say, for two weeks and take them all and then go back home. So I'm not necessarily telling people fake it, but I am starting to wonder, does it really matter if you live here? Now, in TV, once you get a job, you need yeah. to be here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is still where everything's happening as far as being a, you know, a working on a show. But for feature, where the gigs are few and far be- between, that's where I'm starting to wonder if, it's, if, if you absolutely positively have to move here hmm. right away. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell anybody if that's all. Cool. And, uh, and another one is writer's block. Um, mm. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, everybody says the secret to writing is writing, and you do. You know, you, you need to you, you need to just sort of, you know, button seat kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, some of the, the reason I have people writing in class is that they might sit there and go, oh, I'm stuck. I'll never be able to do that. And then when suddenly the teacher says, you got five minutes, write something, they're forced to do it. Mm. And then they're always smiling because they, they realize, oh, my gosh, I could do it. So if you have sort of that imaginary teacher who's sitting you down and going, you've got 10 minutes, you've got 15 minutes, you've got five, do this and do it now, even if it sucks, you're going to write something, and at the at the end of those five minutes, it's not going to suck. You're going to find the gem in it. So I, I guess discipline is mm. probably the the short answer to that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and uh, I think it's funny. Writers who go from 
features to TV, discover mm-hmm. very quickly that there's no such thing as a writer writer's block in TV because yes. there's always a deadline. <laughs> yes. And and yes. there's just the assumption you have to put something on the page. And you know, I, I'm I'm even wondering if that's that's part of the the issue is um, not being willing to put the garbage on the page and then rework it. Mm-hmm. Well, who can blame people, right? Everybody, yeah. everybody's so worried about seeing seeing the garbage. You know, oh God, it, it looks it sounded so great in my head, but it's so sloppy there. Well, yeah, but it's there, hmm. not your head anymore. Okay, once 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 it's looking imperfect, fine, make it better. But uh, yeah, people are very they're perfectionists. The more you know. The more creative you are, sometimes the harder you are on yourself. Um, so yeah, you just have to be let yourself be bad. Hmm. Um, you know, let yourself if, be bad. <laughs> that yeah. sounds good. Yeah. If you don't write it down, some other jerk out there is getting your job. Yeah. You know, think of it that way. Like, <laughs> like you, you know, you're so careful and you're so perfect and you want everything to be great. And meanwhile, somebody who doesn't care hmm. has just sort of slapped it onto a page, made it better, pushed it out, out the door, and you're sitting there going, well, I could have done that. Yeah, you could have. Yeah. You know, but but he did and you didn't. So it's it's a little of that, too. You yeah. Know? Stop being so hard on yourself. Very, very cool. Well, and that that actually is a good place to end up the shop talk. And, uh, and what I'd love to conclude with is just, um, first of all, um, hearing what services in particular do you offer for TV writers? Like if so, if somebody wants to break into TV or is is sort of in part way through, um, what do you offer that could help them? Well, um, I guess right now I, I I would say you know get the book, get the DVD because there's just open it up right in the middle and something's going to help you mm-hmm. make progress. Something's going to help you make your script better, whether it's feature or TV. Um, I am trying to get um, some kind of online class together. So I would go to my website on the page.tv and keep checking around to see when that's going to happen. Um, I consult, but, um, and I consult on TV specs all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the wait list tends to be a little crazy. Yeah. I've booked all the way into June right now, but there is a waiting list. So once you're on the calendar, you know, if, if you're persistent and flexible, there's a chance you'll get an earlier spot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, follow you on Twitter at on the page. At on the page. I tend to be, I'm a little bit of a binge purge person on uh-huh. Twitter. <laughs> I need to be better about it. Um, also go to the on the, on the page Facebook page, and that's where um, I'll be telling people when I'm coming to their city. I've been doing a lot of traveling mm-hmm. lately. Um, tomorrow I'm off to Atlanta. And you're going to Vietnam. Yes, yes. I'm going to Vietnam to teach uh, from like Thanksgiving out here through December. Wow. And uh, yeah, it'll be my first time working with a translator. So <laughs> we'll see if they understand what the hell I'm talking about. We'll wow. See. <laughs> very, very cool. But it's be fun. Thanks. And uh, any other projects that you want to tell people about? No, I mean, you know, there's always something happening here. Sometimes we do little um, one night classes that are intense enough to be to be worth flying in for. So I would just say sort of my catch all is on the page TV. Mm-hmm. Go to that and, and see what we're doing over here because there's always something interesting going on. Oh, and they should check out the podcast, of course. Oh, of course. Uh, 
that's um, on the page um, on iTunes, and yeah. it's weekly, and it's a lot of fun. Now, uh, the you can only have a hundred episodes on iTunes, right? Um, yeah, I guess so. I you know for a while they had they had like a whole bunch of them, but yeah. Um, so there's still some there are some archives on my on my site as well. Mm-hmm. If you go to podcasts, you'll see something that says archives. You just keep digging around, you're going to find uh, amazing writers. You know, going back. Yeah. To to years ago, um, we had one. I think you you remember this one on the eve of the writer strike, mm-hmm. where we had a writer and a producer, uh-huh. and basically like when this when the strike was going to go into effect, if it was going to go into effect, that writer and producer would not be allowed to talk to each other anymore. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was dramatic. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> very, very cool. Well, I appreciate all you do for writers. And I know that there's huge rewards in what you do because you get to see them go on to shining glory. Um, but it's a lot of work along the way. And uh, and so I appreciate um, that you are slugging it out and helping people get their stuff on the page. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And and you're right. It is a joy. It's It's a lot of fun. I love my work. And thank you so much for having me on your show. I appreciate cool. it. Cool. Okay, well, uh, then I guess until next time, um, thanks for coming on the podcast, and uh, it's been a pleasure. It has. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. And that's all I have for today. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Pilar Alessandra. Please make sure to follow me on Twitter, at Gray Jones as my handle. You can find the TV Writer Podcast Facebook group on Facebook. Just search for TV Writer Podcast. And as well, you can go to blip.tv slash TV Writer Podcast to get all the back episodes. And always go to tvwriterpodcast.com for great resources, including a database of TV writers on Twitter that's got 900 writers in it and continues to climb. As promised, I'm going to leave you with an exciting two-minute demo of Noise Industries Effects Factory. Thanks for watching. And as Pilar Alessandro would say, have a great writing week. Bye-bye. FX Factory is a revolutionary visual effects package for Final Cut Studio, Final Cut Express, and Adobe After Effects, powering hundreds of hardware-accelerated film-quality plugins. FX Factory is an all-in-one expandable video toolbox with plugins for video stylization, color correction, stills animation, transitions, keying, stereoscopic 3D, and titling. Discover the hundreds of plugins powered by FX Factory, developed by both Noise Industries and by many other talented partners. This ensures that your plugin possibilities are endless, serving all of your video editing and visual effects needs. You'll notice the plugins are fast and responsive. FX Factory uses the graphics card in your system to provide hardware accelerated previews and rendering. A high-precision rendering engine allows you to apply effects to higher quality sources, such as 10-bit YUV, without loss in quality. There are a great array of filters. There are also a number of powerful transitions and generators. Get started today at noiseindustries.com. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, 
the leading source for scriptwriting information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Scriptwriting Software, the entertainment industry standard for scriptwriting worldwide. Uh-huh.